Welcome to season two of the Warriors of Education podcast, bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education across the globe. I'm Karen Sarah Watson. I'm not only the host, but I am a teacher. This podcast is for people who want to better understand the experience of today's teachers. Come join us. Welcome to season two of the Warriors of Education podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Mariana Fredlin. Um, she is a New York City public school teacher who has spent over 15 years in ENL and ESL classrooms in a diversity of neighborhoods and schools. Um, she has created something really amazing on Facebook called the Teacher's Lounge, which we're going to talk about, and the New Teacher Mentoring Society. Mariana, thank you so much. I, can I call you Masha? Because I know that. Absolutely. Kind of yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I call I, you Masha just to get casual. Yeah, no, Masha's better. <laughs> cool. So just tell me a little bit about your background, and then we're going to get into like your story and, and all about the Teacher's Lounge and stuff. So go ahead. Yeah, sure. So um I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who always knew that they wanted to be a teacher. Uh, that was, I went to college for costume design and Russian, and I studied Russian literature. So um, when I graduated uh, school, I came back to New York City and I was working off Broadway for a year. I was kind of like exploring different things. And I always tutored to kind of make money. And I really loved it. I enjoyed working with uh, kids of all ages from like young to adolescence. And so I applied to the teaching fellows and I really did it with the specificity that I wanted to work in the region and the districts where I went to school. Um, because for me, it, there was always this question of like, why was I able to be successful? Um, and it took me a long time to really understand where public school really played a role and where my family played a role. And so I really wanted to make sure that, um, you know, everybody had the opportunities that I had. Um, and so that's that's how I wound up into, in teaching. Um, and I actually, my, it was funny, my first interview for teaching was with my old assistant principal. And it was really funny when I came in uh, <laughs> to see that, you know, it's kind of coming full circle. Um, and then so I started out in a high school in East New York, and then uh, I was excess. And I wound up in an elementary school and I stayed there for about 10 years. Um, in the process, I did an academic sabbatical. I became a guidance counselor. Uh, and then um, about 10 years in, I was pretty sick throughout that period. And so I wound up having an amputation and I applied for medical transfer just to be closer to home. And so I wound up in a wealthier district, uh, which was honestly uh, not better, not worse, just night and day. Um, and I've been there for six years now, and it's an incredible experience. Both places I've worked in have been truly life-changing in terms of learning, in terms of myself growing as a person, and both professionally and personally. It's just been a tremendous honor. So um, just talking about dealing with illness in, in working in the public school system, um, I wanted to know about, first of all, how that's a how that affected you as a teacher. And I also wanna know, I look around where I've worked and I've worked at a lot of schools and there is very little schools have done for people with disabilities. So I do wanna get into that too, but let's just start off with how that affected you as, as an educator. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I'll tell you, that story goes back far, far more, far longer than when I started teaching. That actually goes back to me being a student. 
um, in public schuels. And I went to Stuyvesant High School um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it was a truly incredible experience. Uh, but when I was 14, I was diagnosed with diabetes and I, um, I didn't handle it very well. And so I, um, you know, I acted like everything was fine, like most teenagers do. Uh, but at some point, it's like when you're doing well, when you can check off all the boxes, nobody really digs deeper as to like what's going on with you. And I find that that happens just everywhere, honestly. And so um, by the time I graduated from college, I was pretty ill. And I had gone, uh, had gone blind. I had, I had to have cataract surgery when I was 24. Um, and so when I started teaching, I, um, I always had this idea about this, the fact that, you know, it, diabetes is a chronic illness. And so, uh, and in many ways, it's an invisible illness, uh, because you don't, you know, you might wear a pump, but realistically, nobody really knows that about you unless you tell them. Um, but it does wreak havoc on your body, um, especially when you don't take care of it well. And um, so I progressively, honestly, got sicker and sicker. But that being said, I always looked at it as illness was something I had to do, but it wasn't who I was. And so for me, it was like this full-time job that had to exist, but it was adjacent to my life. I, I just never really um, wanted to make my life about that. And so teaching became the thing I looked forward to. Teaching and being with kids and being with other colleagues and with other people really living, being present was what I looked forward to. And being sick was what I did when I had to do it. Um, and so when I was, after about three years of teaching, I actually took a sabbatical um, to become a guidance counselor because I felt like I wasn't fully equipped to support my kids in their lived realities. Um, I felt like, oh, you know, I'm saying like, oh, well, this homework is important, but they're experiencing such trauma and disarray at home that it just, it, they, it wasn't congruent. And so I really felt it was really important to do that. And what was interesting for me was um, when I went to get that degree, it is honestly something that saved my life because, um, so I went to the psychological counseling program at TC um, at Columbia. And one of the most amazing things about their program is that it is very experiential. And so I spent an entire year breaking myself apart piece by piece, really understanding what was going on for me. Um, and then I did my internship year as a counselor at Stuyvesant High School, which is where I went. And for me, that was another place like where it was coming full circle. Um, and by that point, it was 2011. And I went back into the classroom. And I went back to the school where I had taught in East New York and I loved it. Um, it was a challenging experience, but I kept, I was there for probably, well, I was there until 2016 and I just kept getting progressively sicker. And I really wanted, um, I had great doctors. I went to lots of places to try to save my leg. Uh, but basically my doctor was great, but he told me, he said, listen, if it comes down to a matter of your life versus your limb, the limb goes. I'm like, we're not having a conversation about that. And so I, I agreed. Um, and in June of 2016, I was pretty, I got pretty ill. Um, around that time is also, um, actually, I guess in 2012, my kidneys went. So like, I was, I was like on this downward slope of like, being sick and doing a really remarkable job of like trying to ignore it. And I think like everybody around me knew it and everybody was really concerned and really trying to be supportive. Uh, and I was kind of like, no, we don't talk about this. We don't like, I don't want to deal with it. And um, 
And then when I had to have the amputation, um, it kind of hit home because it was, you know, it was inevitable. I, I could no longer hide what the problem was because it was obvious to everybody. Um, and honestly, the hardest part of that was that week leading up to making that decision. Having made that decision and going through it, it was okay. Like I remember waking up from surgery and I was like, okay, well, um, I have to be back at work in September. So you guys have a month and a half to like teach me how to do all the things. <laughs> and it was, and they looked at me like, a, you know, I was a little crazy and I was just like, look, I, that's, that's what I want to do. I, I don't want to be defined by this. And so I applied for medical accommodation because I worked in a school that was a five story, you know, walk up. And I worked on the fifth floor uh, and it, I, there was no way that I was going to get up. <laughs> and so that following year, um, they sent me to a school by my house. Um, and again, I wasn't looking to work in this particular district or anything like that. I was just when I applied for my medical, I said, look, I need to be within 15 minutes of home because if my dad or my husband has to drive me to work, like they can't spend all day driving me to work. Um, and so began a diff completely different experience. Um, and that first year uh, was challenging in its own way, mostly because I was on dialysis three times a week and I was, I didn't have my scooter yet. So I was in my wheelchair and I, the first class that I taught was a, I was co-teaching a, a fifth and sixth grade social studies class. And I, you know, the kids came in and I was sitting in the wheelchair and you could obviously tell I only had one leg. So I looked at the kids and I said, you know, you guys, I'm like, I bet you don't normally see a teacher with one leg. So I want to tell you my story. And if you have any questions, you can ask me. And I wasn't planning on doing it. It's just what felt right. Right. And since then I've had, I had that next summer, I had to have a second uh, amputation. I had to my left leg. Um, and all of it was honestly, that was because I needed a transplant. And um, because when you have an infection in your bone, you can't get a transplant because they kill your immune system. And so, um, so I did that. And I came back and I was mentally, I was fine. Like I was just kind of ready, uh, ready and willing and happy to do all of these things. Um, the following year, I actually got my transplant. And it's been just honestly, it's such a pleasure to show up to work. And people ask me all the time, they're like, why are you always smiling? Like, it's challenging. And I was like, you know, I got, I'm like, I got to tell you, like, I'm excited to be here. Um, the transplant made that easier, uh, not just because I'm physically feeling better, but because it kind of gave me a reason to say, I'm no, doing this for someone else as well. I'm not just doing this for me. I have to honor the other life that gave me life. Um, and so I share this story with my students. I share it with my colleagues. I'm the worst when it comes to making like, uh, you know, I don't have any shoes jokes. Um, and, and, you know, like and the kids know it and my colleagues know it. Um, and so nobody really bats an eye, but it was interesting. Um, my husband came to school to help me out with something a few years back. And he looked at me, he goes, he's like, you know, it's like nobody notices that you're not like, you don't have legs. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I don't really notice it either until I like have to like, uh, you know, jump a curb or um, I have to go around something. So it's, the kids are very, every year I go into all the classrooms and I talk to the kids. I also, I run student activities at the school and I do a lot of those things. So like the kids are very comfortable with me. 
And um, there's this great book uh, by Sonia Sotomayor called Just Ask. And I read it with all the students and we talk about what it's like to be different and how we're all different and how that's great. Um, when I wear my prosthetics, the kids adore the, uh, the robot legs. Um, and they ask like what it could do. And it's cool because like my, um, my right leg is above the knee amputation. So the, uh, the knee itself does this like party trick where it, like you can like turn it around 180 degrees. And so all the kids get a super kick out of that. But when I'm not on the prosthetics, I have a scooter and I name her Penelope. And so like the kids, like they're like, oh, hi, how are you, Ms. F? How's Penelope doing today? So it's very much just like a normalized thing. Right, right. So I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I will say my experience has been really good. And a part of that, um, particularly in my new school, has been like my admin has been extremely supportive of me. That's amazing. Um, and it's wheelchair accessible. You haven't had any yes. difficulty. We're on a campus. So everything and it's a modern building. So everything is very much accessible. And I'll tell you, my old school was a great school, but there was no way I could be in that building. Right. Um, and we've talked about that. We've talked about that in like district meetings. We've talked about that um, with colleagues because that's a question that comes up a lot um, because I think, I am not sure, I don't want to be quoted on this, but I think the law was that you had to have one school at every level in a district be accept handicap accessible. Oh, I think that was the law. I, so I, there's definitely schools that are much more accessible now. We have much more modern buildings and things like that. But yeah, I believe there's still lots of schools um, that are not accessible. And you actually, when you look at, um, you can look at like, you know, the school report cards and they tell you, they tell you if the school is fully accessible, if it's partially accessible or if it's not accessible at all. Right, right. I mean, I just look at our school and we don't have elevators or anything and I feel like I feel like you are doing such a good service to your students for them to be able to be exposed to that. Um, and I feel like students who aren't exposed to people with disabilities or anything like that um, do not see that. So it's very different in the world. It's, it's so they, they, they make it like, oh, that's different as opposed to, oh, this is very normal in the world. Like this is what some people are and this is how some people um, this is how some people look and it's just, I feel like I, I just wish all schools were able to be handicap accessible so that all students could be a part of that and all teachers could be a part of that too. I agree. And I'll tell you this. Um, I clearly wouldn't wish this on anybody if I had a choice. Heck, give me two, give me two working legs and let's go. But I, I will say this. Um, it's not something that impedes my life and when I talk to kids I do make sure that I say listen this is my personal experience you can ask me any questions that you want uh, and I have no problem with it and, and I talk to them about how it's easy to stereotype it's easy to make up stories because that's what our brains are biologically wired to do like once we create a story in our mind we get a shot of dopamine uh, it's biological and so even if we don't know that's what we're predisposed to do but staying in inquiry, asking questions is harder. I do tell them though that like, just because I'm happy to answer those questions, not everybody may be, and it's okay. And to always be respectful of people. And I have this lesson that I love to do and it's, um, I've taught it in advisory different times, 
but um, I showed the kids pictures of uh, like Stephen Hawking. A lot of them don't know who he is. And I asked them, I said, so if you just looked at this picture, you saw this person on the street, what do you, like what comes to mind? What do you think he could do? What do you think he can achieve? Right. And, and I tell the kids, I said, listen to me. I'm like, I know I'm on wheels. I take no offense whatsoever. Like this is real talk. Like tell me your first instinct, what comes to mind? And it's always such a great lesson because, you know, they, they're like, oh, well maybe he needs help. Maybe he, you know, maybe he needs assistance. Maybe he's lonely. Maybe. And I asked him, I said, do you guys think he has a girlfriend or do you think that, you know, do you think he has a job? And we talk through all of these things. And then I flash on the screen, his accomplishments. And especially, and you know, like I, I get impressed that, you know, that he has all of these like books and accolades and prizes. Right. And they're like, oh my God, he was on the Simpsons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's such like a it's such a normalizing thing well that's what you do though you normalize it yes which is why i you know which is why it's a shame that we we somehow can't upgrade our schools so that it, it can be normalized for every student i agree but I, I will say this i think we're working towards it i think honestly in 2021 there are so many challenges that exist in our socially complex school systems. Because like at the end of the day, um, we can create all of the research and on all of the policy. But when we create all of that, we, we're thinking about how it's going to be implemented in a very golden experiment type way. But because we are human beings working with other human beings and everybody has a story and everybody has a past and everybody has these various lived experiences, whether you can see them physically or not, uh, you come into a place that is very complex. And so I wonder if, I, I definitely know that now, at least in New York City, we do have more modern buildings. Um, I know that certain schools are definitely upgrading, but a lot of that comes down to funding. And, you know, our funding is in its own way very complex and the formulas and it's funny I you know I just finished a master's program for ed leadership and we had a finance class and I remember like diving deep into it and just being like this is really intricate um, and so I'm not quite sure where the line is in the budget for uh, facilities and in terms of upgrading them and what kind of you know what, what kind of money that's going to cost and where are our priorities I don't know I honestly, I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's, it's very complex, and it, that's very true. But I do want to get into Teachers Lounge. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's really important. How so? Um, Teachers Lounge, everybody is just a, um, it's a page on Facebook that someone told me about and said you should join the Teachers Lounge. It's pretty amazing. So, can you tell me about that and how you started that and how that's going? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, at the end of last summer. I was finishing a master's program and I was feeling like I was doing all these things and I was learning, but I was not feeling like inspired. And I didn't know why, because I was doing a lot of education things, but I realized I was doing them at home, like, you know, in front of the computer or, you know, in school where, you know, half the staff isn't there, half the kids aren't there. And it just felt very disjointed. And I, um, I came across a Facebook group where people were talking about, um, you know, teaching. And when we just you know, shut down in New York City, there was this great group called uh, Teaching Through the Pandemic. And in like a week, all of these teachers from around the world got together. We were just putting in resources, 
for each other, just sharing things. And that I found really inspirational. And so last year when I started thinking about, well, what is it that I need to be inspired? Um, and I thought to myself, it's really collaboration and it's camaraderie and it's thought partners and, and people who are experiencing the same thing that I am, but uh, maybe seeing it differently or in a different space. Um, maybe they know things that I don't know. I mean, not maybe, definitely. And so I joined a bunch of different teachers groups and because times are so challenging and everybody is facing a global pandemic besides everything else, um, a lot of what I was hearing was just people venting and I understood it, but I didn't want to be in it. And I really wanted to create a positive space for teachers where we felt like we still loved what we did and not to say that people who were venting did not, but I wanted to be surrounded by people who were constantly saying, hey, you know what, I love what I do. Yes, this is challenging, but how do we make this better? And so I really set out to create this like human-centered solution-focused space. And I, um, I started by working with an organization I was working with in my school called Beyond Differences. And they were doing a national program called No One Eats Alone that was geared towards ending social isolation for teens. And so my first live in my group, when there was like 100 people in it, I was just like, hi, guys, I want to tell you about this amazing program and their free resources. And organically, it grew. And now we're up to, I think, almost 1,000 people. It is a positive space. We make sure that it is respectful of all people. Um, I always leave my DMs open and I say, listen, if you want to vent, I completely understand. My DM is open for you to vent. But in this space, we're here to support each other. If you need something as an educator, ask for it. We're crowdsourcing this. Let's come up with resources. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I love you always say like, you know, shout out something special that's happening with you. You, you are, I mean, you yourself are an incredibly positive light being who just, you know, sheds light on, you know, in a time where it's, it's very difficult. We've just been, we're in the middle of the pandemic still. We're dealing, we're just getting back from remote learning. It is really hard out there and it, there's a lot to complain about, but I love the teacher's lounge because you do bring such light to it. You, you talk about what it is, why we're there in the first place and not to forget that. And also to lift up teachers. There's constantly articles and things that you say on there that are just there to lift us up. And, and I feel like there's so little of that out there. There's just because it's been so heavy that that's what I love about it personally. I really appreciate that. That actually really means a lot to me because that's my intention. Um, I will say this, thinking about what we just talked about being ill and having all of those experiences. I think I've, for better or worse, like I've been uh, trained for situations like the pandemic. I don't look at things as, oh, well, this is a bad thing. I just go like, okay, whatever's happening is happening. How do I make it better? How do I move on from it? Um, and Again, you know, it's it's just something that came with my life experience and I optimism is something that's really important to me because life can get really dark. And the pandemic has really emphasized that for so many people. People have lost lost loved ones and like our kids, but our teachers too. Our teachers are just as human as the kids that we work with. Our admins are just as human as as the children and we're living and working in these communities. 
And I just think it's so, um, there was a conversation I had with an educator, his name was Keith Greer. And he said something to me that I have been using ever since. He said, we need to honor the complexity of human beings. And that's what I strive to do. And I think that's what the teacher's lounge is there to do. We all have stories, they do matter. And we all have days that are bad days. But one thing I, I do really make a point is that every day I do create a post reminding teachers that what they did today was a great thing because they showed up in the way that they knew how with the best of intention. And whatever happened, there's no such thing as a failure. There's a, a lesson that you learn. And so if something didn't go your way, then you learn something from it. Right. Just like when we talk to kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we as teachers, and I'll just talk from personal experience, have gotten used to um, not getting encouraged, encouraged or, you know, do it working, having like having a really like feeling like I accomplished something today with my kids, but nobody saw it. it and it's not about having people see it, but like never being acknowledged for that. And then walking away and saying, if a tree falls, is anybody going to know about it? Does it, does it matter? You know, and it, and, and I believe obviously it matters if, if, if we're making an impact on children's lives, it, ma it matters, but we also need the support. We also need someone out there because we cannot de depend on, on the people we work for or the system that we're working in to actually lift us up. It's, it's, rarely going to happen. It sounds like you have a very supportive um, uh, staff that you work with. Um, and I do. I do. Which is good. And, and I'm saying it's not, I don't, I don't know if that's a rarity. I know that um, I've talked to a lot of teachers who don't, don't feel that support. And I think it's important if we can't get it from above us, that we get it within us. And that's what, that's something that you do, which is just really important. I genuinely appreciate that. I'm going to tell you about a practice that my principal does every year. And I appreciate this and I do it with my students. And we have, so we use something called the mood meter. But before we do that, we create a charter. Like we create a charter for our staff. And we say like, how do you want to feel when you come to work? Can I tell this to my students? I asked them, I said, what is one thing that we all have in common? Every single person in the world, what do we have in common? And we eventually get to the point where it says, we want to be seen and heard, understood and valued for who we are. That, that, that's a universe, that's something that universally connects us. And so when we talk about that in, in our staff meetings, we say, how do we want to feel when we come to work? And what does that look like? What do we need to do to feel that way? And then we do it in our classrooms. We do it with our students. We say, okay, well, you want to feel respected? What can we as a class do to make you feel respected? Right. And this way, when we have to redirect because there's some kind of challenge or behavior going on, we simply, we don't have to say, hey, stop doing that. We say, are we all feeling respected right now? Right. And if we're not, what are we doing? And that's because I think, and this is like the key to it, at least for me, we all matter. And we don't always get told that, but we matter. And there is a, I just want to give this out to everybody who can hear it. There is a great four and a half minute TED talk and it's called Everyday Leadership. And it's by Drew Dudley. I have my students watch it every year and I show it to staff and I post it in the teacher's lounge every year. And it talks about this idea that it isn't, it's not that we don't matter. It's just maybe we haven't been told that we matter. 
And so for me, it's important to tell the teachers that I encounter and to tell the educators that I encounter that they do matter because they absolutely matter. And even if we don't get told, and the truth is most of us don't get told. Right. Right. I mean, that's so incredible. Um, I, I just, I've, I've learned so much from you, not just about the way you support teachers, but also how you haven't let your challenges in life define who you are. And I think that's just a huge lesson. Um, and so I really appreciate that about you, that you, um, it's, it, it, it formed who you are as a person, your challenges, but it, it, and it made you an even better person because of it. And it hasn't held you back. And I think that's, there's a lot to be said about that. And, um, and I, I bet your students just feel very lucky that they have you as their teacher. I, you know, I have to tell you, I don't often think about that, but it's a nice thought if, if, if that's like, I, you know what I think about a lot, because I'm a, I'm a sap, like, I think, I hope that they feel that they matter yeah. because I know like growing up, my teachers did all the right things. They really did. But, and outside I looked exactly like, oh yeah, all the things are going great. But I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like I mattered. And I will, like I tell the students this all the time, but I think it's important that teachers hear it too. You matter. You matter not to not just because of the lesson plan that you wrote, not just because of the grade that you gave or the time that you spent grading that paper, but you matter because you showed up that day and you made the effort to see the kids in your space and show them that they matter. And that in itself is the greatest thing that any of us can do. Right. Right. Well, that is just words to live by. So um, and just, it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast. And um, again, I just, I've learned so much just in this small time. And, and I've, we've talked for several times before this. And again, I, I encourage anybody to, to go to the Teacher's Lounge on Facebook and check it out because I think it's incredible. And Masha, the work you're doing is just, um, it's pretty amazing. So thank you so much for coming on this podcast and shedding your light on us. I think it's, um, I'm, I'm honored that you came. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you for the work you do. Um, <laughs> it's, it's important. And especially, um, I know I've been listening to the episodes in your podcast. It's very human and it definitely honors the complexity of human beings. And people should tell you that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on Warriors of Education. Have a great night. Thanks for tuning in to Warriors of Education. This podcast is produced by me, Karen Sarah Watson, edited by Alitza Renzi, and recorded in Brooklyn, New York. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you download podcasts. If you are a teacher or know a teacher who would like to share a story, contact us at warriorsofeducation at gmail.com or on our website, warriorsofeducation.com. Teachers, we hear you, we see you, we honor you. Thank you. <laughs>